Hi, my name is Shaheen Chaudhry, and welcome to How I Lead Change, a podcast about executives leading successful human-centric changes in their organizations. I hope that you and your loved ones are staying safe and healthy. COVID-19 has brought on unprecedented and unplanned change with severe impacts on society across the globe. We are all in this together. Therefore, with this spirit, we have put together a special edition of How I Lead Change podcast to share what leaders are doing to navigate this challenging time. Today on our show, I am joined by Santa Ono, President and Vice Chancellor of University of British Columbia, a world-renowned Canadian university known for its high caliber of post-secondary education and research. Thank you for joining me today, Santa. Hello, this is Santa Ono. It's a pleasure for me to join with you. Let's dive right in with our first question. Tell our listeners about UBC. See, UBC is a, is a highly ranked uh, comprehensive research university, uh, which uh, has multiple faculties and everything from health sciences to the basic science and humanities and performing and visual arts. Uh, to uh, also have uh, a number of different professional schools. And it's a very large institution. It's one of the largest universities in North America. We have about 66,000 students and about 17,000 employees. So some people refer to us as a, as a small city. And uh, it's an institution that's relatively young, only about uh, a century old. And we have two major campuses, one in uh, Vancouver, and one in the Okanagan. And uh, we are very proud of our community, of our academic excellence and our, our, our reputation. And we're very ambitious about the future of the institution. Uh, we are in the midst of uh, planning for uh, academic renewal and faculty, faculty hiring uh, to strengthen the institution even further. Thank you for that, Santa. What are the different areas you're looking at for growing your university? Well, it's a pretty comprehensive institution, and uh, we have uh, many programs that are in the top 20 to 30 in the world. Uh, we have uh, other programs that are just in the cusp of that uh, level of excellence and reputation. And so uh, we have gone through uh, a process in speaking with uh, the deans of the institution, thinking about uh, what would be uh, transformational additions to our faculty. And we have a multi-year plan that, uh, where we hope to continue to recruit some of the best and brightest faculty from around the world to join the institution. We uh, just completed two hiring initiatives. One was the um, President's uh, Excellence Chair initi Initiative, where we uh, recruited uh, several outstanding individuals in the strategic field. And uh, we also uh, were able to recruit a number of um, Canada 150 research chairs that were partially funded by the federal government and uh, some of the individuals that we were able to recruit during those processes uh, include uh, Margot Seltzer who moved from Harvard University to become a, a professor of computer science uh, at UBC. Uh, we also uh, recruited to the institution someone called Joseph uh, Penninger who's one of the 
most highly cited living biomedical scientist in the world. We recruited him from Austria uh, to UBC. Um, and uh, we've also launched a couple of new schools, a, a new school of biomedical uh, engineering and a new policy school at the university. That's so great to hear. So many exciting changes happening at the university. Tell us about the impact of COVID-19 on your institution. Well, I have to be honest that uh, it's still not absolutely clear what the magnitude of the COVID-19 impact will be. But already we know that uh, we had to, as an institution, over the period of several days, transition from a face-to-face -face terrestrial campus to almost exclusively a campus where instruction occurs online. And that was done in a matter of days. And, and as you know, that's something that uh, has happened at most universities around the world. There was no warning for it. It's unprecedented, it's historic. Uh, but I have to say that the faculty, staff, and students of the institution and the leadership of the institution, I think did very well in managing that transition. In addition to that transition in education, we also had to transition most of our research laboratories. We had to actually curtail those activities for safety matters because of uh, requirements for physical distancing. We still have some laboratories that are operational, but most of those are, are focused on COVID-19 research, um, understanding the immune, immune response to the virus, um, innovating testing uh, uh, mechanisms and processes, and uh, trying to develop uh, treatments, including small molecules and, and vaccines. So that kind of research is still ongoing, but uh, the majority of the research that we undertake has been curtailed for uh, safety reasons. And what are some of the challenges or concerns you're seeing from moving from face-to-face in-person instruction to online? Well, there are many, many uh, issues and challenges that are associated with that kind of a switch. Uh, first of all, uh, it's not easy to transition from face-to-face -face instruction to online and to do it as well as we can and as well as is needed uh, for both the, the professors as well as the students. And, and so what we're doing right now intensively is to uh, really do a better job of pro providing online instruction for the summer terms as well as for September. So all universities, not just UBC, are really thinking about how to improve the quality of uh, online instruction because now we have a little bit more time to plan for that. The uh, switch to uh, curtail research has had a huge impact on students as well as faculty. A number of positions for undergraduate research or graduate students that are doing research in laboratories, all of that has been curtailed and may have an implication for completion dates for both undergraduates and graduate students especially. We have specialized researchers called postdoctoral fellows who cannot carry out their research. And the, the time clock continues to advance, even though they can't actually work in the lab and generate data, which is necessary for completion of their degrees. So there's been that kind of an impact. For our research faculty, they also depend upon publication. Uh, and not being able to do the research in many cases, that might affect uh, their promotion and their tenure. So those are just some examples of the impact of uh, transitioning online. 
The last thing I'll say is about the class of 2020, and this is not only true for UBC, but for every university, uh, the fact that uh, in March uh, we had to physical distance meant that our uh, film and theater program students, our music students, uh, our athletes all had to stop those activities, which meant that uh, those students that cannot do their senior recitals or their uh, shows were all uh, canceled and athletes couldn't uh, compete. Our baseball team was just about to get started and they can't play. Uh, and none of, none of the uh, athletic teams uh, can uh, actually carry out their sports. So those are some of the examples. I guess the most dramatic is for the class of 2020 is the fact that all of our graduation ceremonies have been canceled. And I can tell you the impact of that is that if you remember a graduation, it's something that you work towards over four or five years. And it's not just for you, it's also for your parents who've been there uh, for you and your grandparents who fly in from all around the world to celebrate that moment. That's been taken away from the class of 2020. And what about the examinations? Well, because we can't uh, convene uh, together in one location because of public safety, all of those examinations have been done online. Uh, and uh, there are some issues with that. Uh, many of our students, and this is true for all universities, have returned home uh, because instruction is, is online and examinations are online. They were free to and welcome to go back to their home. And, and in some cases, that's elsewhere in North America. In some cases, it's halfway around the world. The problem with that for instruction, as well as for examinations, is that there are time zone differences. And so it's been difficult to teach a class that's spread around the globe on different time zones. And the same thing with exams. There, there, are, there are requirements for us to individualize examinations. And it's, uh, it, in some cases, it's, it's, it's really not ideal for the students to have to wake up in the middle of the night and the wee hours of the morning to take uh, examination uh, just to be on the same time zone as others taking the exam here on the west coast of North America. In our last conversation, I remembered you mentioned that there are students living on residence that you also have to take care of, right? Well, this is a, a problem that um, most residential universities have faced. And uh, you may know that in, in some institutions, dormitories are, are quite densely populated. Um, in many universities, for example, where I went to university in Chicago, there were two students uh, to a room. In, in some institutions, there are even three or four students to a room, which is really the antithesis of uh, physical distancing. Fortunately, at UBC, most of our students are, are living in single rooms. They might share a bathroom, but it's a little bit easier for us to accomplish physical distancing here because of that setup in our residence halls. When some students actually went home, uh, the majority of students that remained were international students who could not go home, uh, partially because of travel bans, uh, because of the response to COVID-19. And so they're still here, um, but we can uh, achieve physical distancing easily because there are empty rooms that have been vacated by domestic students. But we still have issues in the residence halls. We have to feed the students and they usually come together in a common dining hall, um, but that's not uh, in compliance with physical distancing. So we, we've had to shift how we actually feed the students to actually 
create the meals, deliver the meals to the room, or have them come in a staggered way uh, with physical distancing to collect the food uh, at a central distribution site. How are faculty, staff, and students coping? I would say that um, they've coped very, very well. I'm incredibly proud of them. I recognize that uh, it was very stressful for the faculty and staff of the institution. Um, and um, for them to, to be able to transition online um, has been miraculous. And uh, I salute them for everything they've done. I'd say for the students, uh, same thing. It's been tough for them. Uh, many of them have had to uh, take classes while they're actually moving out of their residence hall or traveling to their hometowns in, in, a, in a city that might be halfway around the globe. Um, and just imagine packing up your, your room and, and having to travel through airports that, that are, are very congested because everyone else is trying to move around the world at the same time. Um, that, um, that's stressful and it's not conducive to studying, it's not conducive uh, to um, taking an exam. Uh, in many cases, uh, these have been students whose parents uh, have lost a job. And so there's tension in the house. And for them to be able to transition to online and to, to uh, function, it, it's not without stress. It's not without challenge. And, and so I, I should say that um, one of the concerns I have as president of UBC is that we look after the well-being of both the faculty, staff, and students during this uh, stressful time. Please share with us how you are leading through this unprecedented change. You know, one of the things I think is very important at times like this or at any crisis is to trust your team. And the president of uh, a major research university has an incredible team. I have something called a executive. Other universities call this group the president's cabinet. They're primarily the vice presidents of the institution. There's usually a provost or provosts that are in charge of the uh, academic uh, side of the house. You have the vice president, that's usually the chief financial officer of the institution that's responsible for finance and buildings and grounds. You have a, a legal counsel. You have um, a human resources VP. Uh, you have a student affairs VP. And uh, we meet on a regular basis. Um, either together or virtually. Uh, sometimes it's shared by the provost and uh, notes are provided to me if I have to be meeting with a government official. So I've led by trusting my team and I'm very fortunate to be supported by an outstanding group of vice presidents. The other key people are the deans that run each of the faculties or colleges as they are called in, in some other institutions. They really run each of those like the faculty of medicine or the faculty of law or the Faculty of Science, the Faculty of Arts, they're deans that run each of those, a very large units within institution. We have to work closely with them through the provost, and we have a great group of deans that we can trust. And so we've been able to lead by respecting uh, the responsibilities of each group of individuals that I've mentioned, uh, and the Senate of the institution as well. So the way of led is to let people do uh, their jobs, to support them as much as possible. And my particular responsibility is largely externally facing to articulate to various forms of government, the provincial government and the federal government, uh, the financial impact of COVID-19, to advocate, for example, 
in last week's announcement of $9 billion in support for students, last week's uh, uh, announcement that the Canadian government would provide $1.1 billion in support of research. Those sorts of things are my responsibility. It's also my responsibility, in addition to government relations, to make sure that I'm interacting with other presidents uh, across Canada, across North America and the world, and to uh, inform the university community about uh, what the timeline of the disease might uh, be and what kinds of things we might expect as an institution moving forward. That's great to see so much collaboration happening in these times. What one piece of advice would you give other executives and leaders? Well, it's hard to just pick one thing. I would say that my advice would be to try and remain calm. There will be all kinds of uh, moments during a crisis like this, many question marks, and people will look to you or someone who is calm, who is strategic, who is data-driven, somebody that doesn't become too easily alarmed by a crisis of this magnitude. So my advice to a president or a CEO is to uh, really take the time to think through the situation, to consult widely, to not shoot from the hip, to uh, only make decisions based upon consultation and upon data that you obtain that you trust. That's really, really important because people are looking to you to really chart the path forward for the institution and to tell everyone what that is so that there aren't question marks. Thank you, Santa, for sharing your insights and how you're leading UBC through these times. You're welcome. Well, that's all for today's episode of How I Lead Change. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Now go out there and be successful at change.